checking out college football on the West Coast. This is Get Off My Pylon, a look at the Pac-12 and more. Part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. Here's your host, Matt Zimmer. Welcome to the latest edition of the Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast. This is your co-host, Matt Zemek, along with fellow co-host, Alex Blau. And uh, it's How week we one. And uh, we have plenty to review in the Pac-12, and we wish we wish the news was better. But uh, Utah and Oregon had their moments in the spotlight. Didn't go very well. But uh, It did it, not. It did not, Alex. So, you know, our podcast is part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. Uh, you get lots of other great podcasts on college football throughout the country. You got Yards and Stripes in the service academies. You have the Florida Football Insiders podcast with host Jason Powers. You know, the Florida Gators, they beat the Utah Utes. So, you know, you're going to get insights from Jason Powers from the Florida side uh, of that matchup. You have Mark Rogers' Big Ten Paradigm. You have Tyler Jones' Big 12 Breakdown. And you have several other podcasts within the College Gridiron coast-to-coast family. You can get the RSS feed at Red Circle, and you can listen to each of those podcasts at Google, at Spotify, at Apple, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So please uh, have a sampling of all the podcasts that are part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. All right, Alex. So we'll start with Utah, Florida, because that was the best game. It was the most interesting game and also the most consequential game for the Pac-12's college football playoff hopes took a massive hit. Just start with you know your main impressions of that Utah Florida games. You know, the main observations that you take away from Florida twenty nine, Utah twenty six. Utah getting intercepted at the goal line in the final half minute of play. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, this game was all about opportunity that slipped right through Utah's hands. I gotta say, first off, I thought this not only was this the Pac twelve game of the weekend for sure. I thought this was the college game of the weekend until last night when that FSU-LSU game went down. That was bananas. But this UF-Utah game, man, this defense that was the cornerstone of last year's success just got manhandled and outplayed by UF QB Anthony Richardson. That guy has a Heisman talk already after one game. I mean, sure, yeah, I mean, you can't let up 250 yards plus of rushing and four rushing touchdowns and expect to – hold your top 10 rankings, let alone get to the college football playoffs, let alone solidify a win in the SEC when you're coming from the Pac-12. That may work out West, unfortunately, but it's definitely not going to work in the South. And I think that's what Utah saw come Saturday night. And and, and my main follow-up question for you, Alex, is that you know you're, you're exactly right in identifying the missed opportunities and also that Utah's defense didn't really look up to the job. Um, you know, some might say that Utah's tackling wasn't, wasn't up to par, but the thing that stood out to me, Alex, and, and you can ta- tackle this question better than Utah tackled Anthony Richardson is that, you know, it seemed to me that a lot of the time Utah's pass rushers, they were just rushing up the field and with a running quarterback, you know, that's not how you're supposed to play a running quarterback that you need to stay in your lane. You, you need to not run yourself out of the play and, against a quarterback where you want him to beat you with the pass, not with his legs, you know, that should be all the focus should be about, you know, keeping Anthony Richardson in the pocket, keeping him sealed in, not giving him running lanes 
you know, I think the the discussion about this game afterward has been, you know, some Florida Florida guys will say, well, Florida just had better athletes. I mean, especially Anthony Richardson. He's just a better athlete than anyone Utah had. Uh, hard to argue with that, but it also seemed as though part of the formula for Florida um, winning this game was that Utah just did not have good gap discipline in terms of shutting off running lanes for Richardson and making him beat them down the field with the pass. What, what, what are your thoughts I mean, on Yeah, you nailed, you nailed it right there. I think when you look at his stats towards the end of the game, he, he barely got over 150 yards, right? Wasn't he around 100, 165, 160 around there? Passing yards, he did, yeah. He passing yards, sorry. Yeah, he simply did not beat them to the air. He, they, they really just lost off his pure athleticism ability to capitalize off their errors. If they're rushing up the field and maybe they left that gap open, he capitalized and he took off. When you think about the passing plays, you know, he had that, that, that two-point conversion towards the end of the game where he, he spins out, gets shakes the two defenders, and then nails the tight end in the corner, right, or a wide receiver in the corner standing alone. Besides that pass, they, they really did a good job, I thought, kind of eliminating all the air raid opportunities and just – didn't got beat on the ground in front of them. Uh, you know, something that I don't think is mentioned by UF fans is that the Utah offense looked not bad. You know, they, they did their job up until that final interception with 17 seconds left. And man, that was an interception, you know, had, uh, had a, the tight end not slipped on that play. What Dalton Kincaid, had he not slipped on Keithy. the ground? Yeah. You know, Keith. Sorry, yeah. Had he not had he not slipped on the ground, who knows? Maybe that maybe that is a completion instead of a pick, and uh, and the Gators are actually crying all night in the swamp. And maybe Utah gets home before Sunday, not stuck in an airport all afternoon. There's there's a lot of things that could go different uh, in that game. I think it was a super winnable game for Utah. Uh, they just couldn't capitalize. What what do you think about Cam Rising? You know, last year he was the best quarterback in the Pac-12, and you know. Uh, we both cover USC, you and I, uh, we both you know, mm-hmm. follow the Trojans. And so we're both very aware of the Sam Darnold story, which, you know, he wasn't the starter on day one in 2016. It took Clay Helton a few weeks to put him in the lineup in that 2016 season, but then he took over, led his team to a Rose bowl. So that's the same thing that happened with Cam rising last year. Wasn't the starter on day one, took the coaching staff a few weeks to get him into the starting lineup. And then once he got in, he led his team, Utah, to the Rose Bowl. So we entered this season with huge expectations, legitimately huge expectations. Uh, like, you know, there was nothing excessive or hyperbolic about the expectations. When you take Utah to its first Rose Bowl ever, yeah, you, you should have pressure, uh, you know, to really deliver the goods the next year when you're the guy on opening day, unlike a year ago. So Cam Rising, you know, directed the Utah offense fairly well, but there were certainly a few mm-hmm. throws that he missed. And then, of course, on the final drive, he got intercepted several plays earlier on that final drive. He almost got intercepted. The Florida, the Florida linebacker got in the lane. Rising didn't see him. That ball should have been dropped. So, you know, there was a lot of good, but the bad was really bad. And the bad was costly bad. You know, not just, you know, not, I, just not just a poor play, but in the biggest moment of the game. So when you weigh all of that together, Alex, h- how do you assess – uh, Cam rising on an overall level. Cam rising. Now you know I'm partial to my Trojans. Uh, of course. So when I when I watch Cam rising, do I see college Sam Darnold? I don't. 
Uh, even in that Rose Bowl game, I thought he was stellar. But, I mean, we're comparing Rose Bowl games. That Penn State-USC Rose Bowl game may be one of my favorites of all time, if not my favorite of all time. Uh, Cam Rising, you're right. He knew he had to be the face of this offense and, frankly, this team going into the season. Uh, when I watched an offense, you know who stole the show for me was Tavion Thomas. They got a solid running game. And I think, you know, if they they ran the ball a good amount of times with him. He was over 100 yards. He got a touchdown. Uh, they got another good running, uh, another young running back core. Uh, if they can use the legs of Cam Rising with Tavion Thomas, and maybe that can open up the passing game going into the season for him a little more, we can see him come back to what we saw at the end of last season. I thought it was a fine assessment. It was the opening week. You know, everyone's going to be rusty, but they needed him to be on his game. So final point on this game. What, just what do you think this game does for in terms of changing your perception of Utah as a team. Now, you know, the college football playoff, like that's its own separate question. Like Utah has to win 12 games in a row to make the playoff. If Utah doesn't, goodbye playoff. So like that, that's pretty clear cut. For, for even a shot, of, for even a shot at making the playoffs. I mean, the, just that, like you, you, that's, that's what happens with a week one loss. Yeah. But uh, how, how would you simply evaluate Utah as a team? Because Florida, I think, surprised a lot of people by how good it was, how well uh, Billy Napier coached that team in game one. Uh, you know, Florida didn't play a cupcake to kind of ease its way into this. Florida was able to be, you know, the equal of Utah right away. So does that negatively affect your perception of Utah? Or do you think that that Florida win or the Florida loss, actually, excuse me, is going to look a lot better uh, at the end of the season, and we're still dealing with a, a team that, you know, is top 10 in quality and is going to be right there at the top of the Pac-12. Does does your impression of Utah change markedly in any, you know, significant way uh, as a result of this outcome? You know, I kind of want to say, why not both? When we look back at the end of the season, I do think this is going to be a Florida team that probably drops one to Georgia, could give Texas A&M some good competition. And by the end of the season, we say, wow, that this was a good Florida team that gave Utah some real competition early. But this Utah team, I think, has to look back and say, guys, we're not the roster we were last year. We need to get back on track. You know, we got Southern Utah coming up right now. This should be a cakewalk. Let's, let's do what we do and let's run through this team so we can get back to our staple of the game. All right, Alex. Hey, before we get into our discussion of Oregon, Georgia, let's get a word from our sponsors at BetUS. And, uh, oh, I love you know, it's, it's, it's football season, which also means it's football betting season, as you well know, Alex. And, you know, you want an outlet that has longevity. You want an outlet with experience and reliability. So uh, BetUS, they've been in the sportsbook industry for over 25 years, paying their customer base quickly and securely so go to betus.com and take advantage of an offer that's part of our uh, college gridiron coast to coast launch this season you'll receive a 125 percent sign up bonus by using the promo code coast 22 that's coast the number 22 coast 22 so you put a hundred dollars in a, a deposit to bet us you get an additional you get $125 to play it. You put in a $200 deposit, you'll get $250 to play it. You get an extra 50 on top of your $200 deposit. And we have NFL betting coming up, Major League Baseball postseason, and the NBA is just around the corner, college basketball. So you want to make BetUS, B-E-T-U-S.com, your partner 
uh, for all the sports betting action under the sun. So 125% match bonus with the promo code COAST22. That's at betus.com. All right, Alex. So Oregon, Georgia. Uh, you know, for me, it's really very simple, uh, at least at the start. And that is Bo Nix throw picks. Uh, I am not, mm-hmm. I, am, I am a Bo Nix skeptic. I made no bones about it in the off season in my writing at Trojans Wire, in my podcasting, the YouTube shows I do uh, nationally. Just, you know, I, re- I saw Bo Nix play at Auburn. I saw that guy. I know who he is. I know what he's like. And he's not very good. And you, you just can't throw him to the Wolves and Kirby Smart's defense. We saw this story when Bo Nix and Auburn played Georgia year after year. It never ended well for Auburn. So to me, no one should be surprised. I mean, I, I'm not even surprised that it was 46 points, uh, you know, as opposed to, let's say, 30. No, Bo Nix is not ready for prime time. And, and for me, that's the simple takeaway from this game. Yeah, I got to say, I, I wasn't surprised about the lack of offense from Oregon. I was a little surprised about how poorly uh, this defense really showed out on this first showing under under Danny uh, Dan Learning. But let me just say, what a win for Georgia. What a win for the SEC. And what a win for Auburn fans everywhere. Am I right? I mean, I see it. The way they look at it, they got an absolute win without another year of Bo Nix. Their QB, Robbie Ashford, showed promise. Bo Nix did exactly what he's been doing against uh, Georgia the last few years. That second interception, too, was terrible into, like, triple coverage. It was a horrible decision-making by Bo Nix. The first one, I got to say, first interception was a heck of a play by the DB. Still not a great ball. But the second one was just no clue what he's doing. And going back to our conversation last week, uh, you know, you were very, very high on Stetson Bennett. We're not here to talk about Georgia too much. I was pretty low on him, but man, he looked like the inverse of Bo Nix out there in the same pitch. Uh, he had almost 400 yards. He had two passing touchdowns. He had a rushing touchdown. There was there was no answer from the Ducks on the offense or the defensive side of the ball. Well, and the thought the thought that occurs to me, uh, Alex, is that you know that Stetson Bennett, you know, he was doubted throughout last season, and I was one of his doubters. Like you know, especially when Georgia got torched by Alabama in the SEC championship game in early oh, December. Oh, I was calling. You know, Georgia I was, was calling a touchdown for favorite in that game. I was calling for JT Daniels. You know, halfway through the national championship, I'm right there with you. Yeah, even even at halftime of the national championship game, Georgia did not play well on offense in the first half of that game, and then he has that big throw and the big drive. Uh, in the fourth quarter so you know all off season like you know he he realized hey I'm a national champion quarterback I shut up the doubters uh you saw the confidence of a of a guy who knows that you know he has it he has what it takes he believes in himself he believes in his teammates you just saw that uh for 60 minutes against Oregon he played with swagger which I which I haven't seen him play with last season uh, let me also just say real quick, if I may, about the Oregon offense. We're talking about Bo Nix. Uh, they couldn't establish a run game, but maybe that's also because that dominant Georgia front was just throwing around 300-pound upperclassmen linemen like they were dog toys, you know, just no opposition getting in that backfield. Absolutely, and, and you know, that this is, this is the reality of playing Georgia, also Alabama, also, you know, for the past several years, Clemson. We'll see if Clemson, 
you know, is able to rebound this year. Um, but also say Ohio State to a degree that the, the, there are a few select programs that they do not have rebuilding years. They just don't. They, they get guys into the pipeline and that, you know, if they lose 10, 12 players to the NFL draft, it's OK. They have another crop of players that's hungry, that's you know ready to go. They've worked within the system. It's their turn. They like they know this is how it works. You know, I, I watch the NFL guys in front of me one year. The next year, it's my turn. And there's a hunger there and the player development piece is there. And so Georgia just does not lose very much uh, in terms of in terms of talent, in terms of heft, physicality, resources like Georgia is in that elite top tier class with Bama, with Clemson, with Ohio State. Uh, that is just the reality of going up against Georgia. It really makes you wonder why Oregon scheduled this game. You know, if Oregon played, let's say, you know, Texas A&M, like Texas A&M uh, is not, you know, little sisters of the poor, uh, but it's not Bama. Like you can get a quality win against Texas A&M uh, and, and you can have a real chance to actually win. There was never a real chance uh, for Oregon to beat Georgia and Kirby Smart. Like you don't schedule Georgia. You don't schedule Alabama. You know, this whole we want Bama business. Yeah, actually, everyone, smart. everyone wants Bama until they're lined up across from them. That's right. It's so easy to say uh, that on a, on a Tuesday morning in the middle of May, but then you get to uh, Labor Day weekend. Oh, 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 okay. I see. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a different yeah. story. Yeah. Matt, Absolutely. let me ask you a question if I can. Sure. You know, talking about these, talking about these teams you just mentioned, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Georgias. I think it's really easy to look at an outcome like this Georgia-Oregon game and say, you know what, Georgia's just that good. Uh, and I think we've, we've talked about the Oregon offense being that bad, but do you think the defense is really that bad? Or, you know, is Georgia just that good? What, what, do, what do you think really made the difference on I that, think, that defense? I think it's mostly Georgia being a lot better, but it's also, you know, Oregon had – it was clear right off the bat, Oregon had no place to go on offense. So if you're the defense, yeah. you know, if you're a member of Oregon's defense and you're in the first quarter of that game, you're going, well, you know, am I, am I supposed to, you know, hot shut out? like we are just screwed. Right. I mean, yeah. you just, and so like the morale on that Oregon sideline just had to plummet as, as soon as the train got rolling and it was clear that Oregon's offense was going to do absolutely nothing. So that, that to me is kind of a one-off, and of course, you know, the Pac-12, uh, the quality of offense in the league was not very good last year. So Oregon's defense, when you put Oregon in the Pac-12, should be very good over the course of the season, measured against uh, most of the competition. Uh, I will say that Oregon-BYU, like that BYU game now becomes huge for the Ducks. They really need That's to my keys. bounce back. That's my key for the Ducks against Eastern Washington this weekend. You know, just, just try to get something going on offense try to get a rhythm going see what bonix can do see what this running game can do and then start planning around that success and and, and in terms of oregon well before we uh, move to other uh, pac-12 teams uh, and topics you know th this is a five alarm crisis not i'm not talking about the loss to georgia what i'm talking about is ty thompson you know five-star recruit one of the biggest fish that oregon has ever landed on the recruiting trail uh, fans and also our friends at Ducks Wire. You know, I'm the editor at Trojans Wire, so I talk to people at Ducks Wire all the time. Uh, they were clamoring for Ty Thompson against uh, Anthony Brown last year. Play Ty Thompson, play Ty Thompson. 
and uh, Mario Cristobal and Joe Moorhead, eh, they weren't willing to do it. So now we come into a new season. You have a different head coach and you have a different offensive coordinator. Play Ty Thompson, play Ty Thompson. Now, we're not debating who, sh uh, who should start for Oregon. When, when the score was 42 to three, 45 to three in the second half, you would think, hey, let's give our backup some snaps just to get him into the system, just to get some live reps. But no, Lanning and Dillingham went with Bo Nix the whole way. Now that, that strikes me as crazy pants uh, to you know, not even back. give your backup any minutes at all. So if you're Ty Thompson, Alex Blau, if you're Ty Thompson, you're thinking, I, I'm out of here. Like, like what, what, is, what else is Ty Thompson supposed to think? Like, I'm thinking that transfer portal door is going to swing wide open before too long. Yeah, you know, I'm with you there. And we were talking about a, a certain player earlier. I don't want to give it away too early. But had they played Ty Thompson, you know, towards the end of that blowout, now you're talking about a Sam Donald comparison right there on, on, a, on a historic team, a massive open season or blowout. You know, I think Sam Donald got his first start against that USC Bama season opener, right, uh, where he was the backup. Clay put him in a little bit. He started to get something going. Um you know, I, I was kind of calling for that last week when we were talking about Bo Nix. I see Oregon as, you know, it's a no-loss situation. You've seen what you have in Nix. Give the young guy some time and, and hope to build from there. Now a word from our sponsor, Alex, before we talk about uh, uh, your USC Trojans. We could say our USC Trojans since I uh, cover them professionally. But uh, a word from our sponsor. I'll share, I'll, I'll share them with you, Matt. Sure. Uh, um, you know, at the UCLA Bowling Green game, there were over 60,000 empty seats. So you really didn't need to worry about getting a ticket for that game. But when you have a really big game and you need to select a really good seat for a good price and you need to purchase it securely uh, and, and, and get a good deal, uh, you need to have an outlet you can trust. And that's Ticket Smarter. Ticket Smarter is partnered with dozens of universities and lots of different conferences across the country. Uh, it's their official ticket resale marketplace. Uh, they've also partnered with ESPN Events as an official ticket resale partner. Um, so for NCAA football tickets, Ticket Smarter, make sure that fans all over the country, you know, when, when you have a UCLA home game, you get a lot of LSU fans, you get a lot of visiting fans in the building. So Ticket Smarter, make sure that no matter where you are in the West or in the larger United States, you can experience the power and excitement of college football live you can get your tickets quickly securely and at a great price on the secondary market with the ticket smarter mobile app or at ticketsmarter.com and through our college gridiron coast to coast network we have a special offer take five percent off your purchase of 100 or more with the promo code gridiron 22 that's gridiron 22 get five percent off an order of a hundred dollars or more and that code is not just a one-timer. It's as many times as you want this season for the best selection of college football tickets to the biggest games. So check out the selections and pricing now with Ticket Smarter. And remember the code, Gridiron22. So, Alex, as we move to USC, you know, uh, the, uh, the first game of the Lincoln-Riley era, a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement, and hey, 66 points that's a whole lot of fun and and the symbolism could not be more powerful or obvious that it was the first time usc scored 66 since 2008 which was the last great season of the pete carroll era just like so much 
symmetry, so much synergy uh, between Riley and Carroll, you know, the great USC era that was, and now the great USC era that we're all expecting. But beyond, but below the surface, you know, 66 points is great, but that run defense looked awful in the first quarter. The Rice offensive line was throwing around that USC defensive front, which we know that's the weak link of the unit. And this, this unit has three weeks, Alex, to prepare for Oregon State in Corvallis. In Oregon State, they mash, mash, mash between the tackles. I, I don't know, Alex, the, the, the defensive front, is it going to be ready enough uh, to contain Oregon State's running game in three weeks? That's my first uh, thought about the Trojans here. You know, you nailed my first big red flag. And it was, you know, to their credit, one of the few big red flags that I saw USC's uh, new team bring out. But I really would love to see Romello Height and Corey Foreman and that entire defensive front step up. Because Rush having a Rice having 146 rushing yards is not acceptable. And then they had over over a hundred in the first half. The first half, the defense was scary. The second half, they did, you know, they started opportun- uh, utilizing opportunities. They started taking advantages of a lot of tipped balls. We saw, we saw a hat trick of pick sixes. It was fun. I didn't know that running back Shane Lee had, had wheels like that. That guy was moving. But you're right. There's a massive concern about can this defense stop the run and ultimately can it stop the pass? Because, you know, Rice was in such a deficit, they kind of had to abandon the run game. So, Alex, uh, it, you know, one thing I've discussed a lot in the offseason was, you know, how many points does USC need to give up on average on defense to reach its goals this season? And for me, if USC does not allow more than 30, like if you, if you, gave, if you told me that scenario right now, USC's defense is not going to give up an average of more than 30 points a game. And I will say they gave up 14 to Rice. Let's cancel that game out. If USC averages 30 allowed – from now, the Stanford game going forward, personally, I will take that because last year, uh, USC allowed 32, but see, the offense scored uh, just under 28, and this offense yep. is not going to score 28. This offense is going to score 40 points a game, so if USC is allowing an average of 30 uh, for the rest of the season, that's a plus 10 average point differential each week, so to me, 30 given all the weaknesses and all the limitations, like I sign on the dotted line for that. Uh, I, 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 if, if it's, yeah, if the average is, you know, 34, 35, okay, then we're in trouble. But I think if the average uh, for these remaining 11 games uh, is 30, I take that deal. What, what do you think about uh, your number for the USC defense? You know, I like that 30. I think you, you can even stretch to 35 because you nailed it in the intro. USC football is fun again. And that is something that this fan base, the student body, even the alumni, uh, you have alumnus and pro alumni and fan alumni that have been just sad to be coming to SC games for the last decade. And it's fun again. And this offense, man, they can score any way they want. Caleb Williams looked in control the entire time, whether it was through the air or on the ground. How good did he look when he was mobile? Oh, man, he looked like he could run the ball. And then you have the halfback trio of, of Austin Jones, Travis Dye, and freshman Relik Brown. And it's really a matter of how do you want us to beat you? We'll beat you through the air. We'll 
beat you in the running game. And you know what? If you want to shut both those down, Caleb will do it himself. And this was the best line performance I've seen from a USC team. I mean, Caleb only had one sack. He had all the time. He was never under distress. Uh, this USC offense looks like it can put up, I think they could put up 40 to 45 points against your average Pac-12 team. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, especially coming after the performance of Utah versus Florida, if we see this SC offense carry this team all the way up until the Irish come for the, the close of the season. Absolutely. And I mean, you, you know that there's going to be like a 49-42 game at some point and USC just needs to be on the right side of that game. And, you know, if that if that happens, like if USC, if USC's offense is able to just max out on the day when the defense is really bad, you know, that that's the kind of escape act that we're going to need to see from USC uh, this season. All right, Alex. Yeah, along if it with becomes, our show. go ahead. I was just going to say briefly, if it becomes a shootout, Lincoln Riley has the ammunition out in Los Angeles. There's no question. He won't be outgunned. It's just going to be a matter of limiting the time of possession from the opponent so that Caleb Williams gets enough possessions to make the difference. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, this the get off my pylon, our college football podcast, part of the college gridiron coast to coast network, you know, part of our show is generally going to focus on the, on the mountain West. I mean, that's going to be a small piece of our larger show, but boy, like, what is there to say about the Mountain West after week one? Uh, Boise State looked awful. Utah State looked awful. Mm-hmm. Wyoming doesn't look very good. Uh, Hawaii doesn't look very good. And let's now turn to San Diego State getting blown out by the Arizona Wildcats. Jed Fish, you know, in terms of recruiting, he certainly knocked that out of the park in the offseason. But the question remained, would he be able to coach him up on game day would the pieces on paper suddenly jump off the page and become significant well we got a pretty resounding answer you know arizona uh, you know oregon state was good but arizona was great in the pac-12 in week one uh you know arizona winning only one game last season alex that looked like a bowl team in week one against san diego state in the first game at snapdragon stadium in san diego I mean, going from one win to a to a bowl level team like that, that is a very significant jump in Tucson. And it really uh, says so many good things about where that program is headed. Now, bowl, bowl level, I think we may need to take a deep breath. feel like that. That may be a little too hot right now. But you're right, especially the QB play out of Jaden Delora. This was something I haven't seen this out of an Arizona team probably in two and a half seasons. Uh, four touchdowns, one interception, almost 300 yards. They, I think they outgained the Aztecs almost double. I think they had about 460 yards. The Aztecs had about 230. Uh, you know, looking at the Mountain West, especially week one, you're right. It's, it's almost as bleak as the Pac-12. But there were two big opportunities I saw in the Mountain West. I saw this Arizona versus San Diego State game as a massive opportunity in the Mountain West, especially because you have SDSU coming in as, I think they were, potentially a top top two top three team in the mountain west they were unveiling a new stadium they were taking on a weak 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 pac-12 team of the past two years and they get blown out and then you know you briefly touched on boise state versus oregon state i didn't have as high of expectations for boise state to really bring it to oregon state but uh you know i think these were just two big missed opportunities by the mountain west to establish some dominance and bring some legitimization or some legitimacy, sorry, uh, to their teams this year. 
Alex, I think that Andy Avalos uh, is way in over his head at Boise State. Like that, that team has not <laughs> looked very well coached at all since he got there uh, two years yeah, ago. Yeah, he's taken over really. Uh, you know, he he yanked his senior quarterback in the first half of the game. Like that's just a total panic move. And so, if you're a Boise State player, especially on offense, like what's your morale up right now? Like you're saying, we don't have leadership on the coaching staff. So Avalos. He is really digging a ditch for himself very quickly in Boise. All right. Other things to hit on, Alex, in the, in the Pac-12 before we close down our show here and get off my pylon. I think the other especially big story, Washington State barely beating Idaho at home. A lot of hype, a lot of buzz around Cam Ward, the transfer from Incarnate Word, uh, an FCS school. But a lot of talk about his potential upside and how he could be a game changer for Washington State, and then the Cougars have a, a pancake flat opener. Like the souffle was was uh, pinched uh, against uh, Idaho, barely got out of that game alive. Maybe it's yeah. just week one jitters. Maybe it's just a lot of rust. You know, we, we saw the Mike Leach teams, like they would lose to Portland State or something like that, and then they'd get everything fixed. But obviously, Jake Dickert, like this is – this is his first go round as a head coach, you know, for his first full season as a collegiate head coach. Is it time to panic in Pullman after week one? I don't think so. You know, you mentioned that Cameron Ward isn't coming transfer and there was a lot of hype around him, but for his first game in a new system and a new conference, they asked him to do a lot. You know, he threw 40 times, um, Still managed to complete over 50%, you know, no interceptions on his part, three touchdowns. Uh, they established a semi-solid running game uh, with Watson in the backfield. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's time to worry yet. I think it's a lot of uh, new faces around, and it's, it's time for them to just get settled, figure out what their brand is, and go chase it. All right, Alex, any final thoughts? I mean, you know, we, we record this episode every Monday. So like this show is basically a review show of the past weekend. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we do have week two. Obviously, one point of considerable interest is the USC Stanford game. So uh, any, any just general thoughts on USC Stanford before we close down here at Get Off My Pile? I mean, Stanford looked nice against Colgate. Um, it was Colgate but I didn't really have too many expectations uh, coming out of Stanford. It'll be nice to see how Lincoln Riley manages his first Pac-12 game, uh, his first away game. You know, it's not too far. It's just going up north. Um, but I'll be excited to see how he takes his team on the road. I think it should still be, you know, test this Trojan defense, see what they can do, but it should still be an offensive blowout, I think, for the Trojans. Can't wait for that season opener. And of course, that's going to be a primetime game. So like you, the USC's days on Pac-12 Network, we're playing, you know, the late game at 10, 1045 Eastern, 745 Pacific. Those days are over, baby. We're getting, you know, the 8 o'clock Eastern, 730 Eastern now. We're, we're back to living the life that USC is supposed to live. Alex you know, Black can Bank, I just say, this, go, go ahead. This, may, this may be a hot take. And I'm not a fan of the Pac-12 Network. Their theme songs, their their little montage they run instead of the local ads. I'm just not a big fan of the Pac-12 network. Ready to get out of this conference. Uh, you you are not alone in thinking that. All right, Alex, thanks <laughs> for joining me this week, and uh, 
hey, we, we now get into Pac-12 conference play. So that's going to be exciting. Join us next it, week as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. Uh, this is Matt Zemek signing off on the Get Off My Pylon College Football Podcast. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye.